The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, at this time, the kids can go ahead and be dismissed to their classes. Uh, And if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. We're also going to start in Luke uh, 24, so you can start uh, making your way there. Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. Uh, And today is a very special day because we're continuing through uh, our series on Acts, which this is part two because uh, part one was a couple of weeks ago. So go back and listen to those. Uh, But some of you are noticing that we have the baptism still set up. So we're going to do an encore baptism today. And so I'm super excited about that. Uh, Some of you are like, I didn't know it was baptism Sunday. Uh, Well, surprise. Uh, Some of you guys are going to be baptized. You didn't know it, but uh, today's your day. Uh, And Jesus told us you were coming, so we're ready for you. Uh, I want you to to imagine for a moment that you're, uh, you're a little kid. And you are holding and you're walking Uh, The hand of your father. You guys are walking down the sidewalk going to get a favorite treat of yours, maybe ice cream or something, and you guys are having an amazing time. Listen, when you picture the fact that you're a little kid and and your father is holding your hand, that is really a picture of the Christian life. Uh, I want to tell you that it's a picture of, of us and the relationship God wants to have with us. And so God has you by the hand, God loves you. God cherishes you. you. You trust your father. You find joy in your father. And things are good between you and your father. Not because you are good or that you are perfect, but your father is good and perfect. Amen? And so as a child, times we, we fall short. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all kind of gone astray. But our father helps us. He picks us up. He carries us along. And he holds our hand. And there is joy in the relationship between you and your father. So you guys are there and you're walking hands. Everything's good. Your sins are forgiven. There's reconciliation. There's a beautiful relationship. And you look up at your dad and he looks down at you and he smiles. He finds great joy in you also. He enjoys walking with you and and he has this this kind of tenderness about him. Your father, he has this tenderness in his grip and he looks and he smiles on you with warmth and cherishness and, and there's a firm yet caring grip that he has on you as you guys walk and you enjoy every moment. But then after a block or two, you look up and you notice, you notice along the sidewalk there appears to be a scary looking man. And he's scary because he looks unkept. He has this glaze or this, this piercing look about him, and he's walking very heavily and very purposely, and he's, he's, he's walking with this, with this demeanor that he's coming right towards you. Not only does he look scary, but he looks angry, almost like, like it's, it's dangerous for you to be there. And you notice him coming from afar. And, and what happens in that moment is you, you squeeze your father's hand a little tighter. And he notices too. And so he increases his grip on your hand. The man, as he begins to approach you, he stops about 10 feet in front of you. And he says, hey, why don't you come with me? He glares at you. And you're terrified. 
And so you turn from his face to your father's face. And now let me ask you in that moment, what do you want to see on your father's face? I'll tell you what you don't want to see. You, you don't want to see the same look that you just saw two blocks ago. You don't want to see a smile or a giggle or a warmth. You don't want to see the, the face of, of kindness and tenderness and warmth anymore. You want to see the face of strength. You want to see the face of determination. You want to see the face of courage. And you want to feel something different, amen? You don't want to feel the soft, tender, joyful grip. You want to feel a little firmer of grip, one that's almost uncomfortable, amen? A grip that says, listen, I've got you. I'm never going to let you go. My grip on you, whether you fall or whether you faint in this moment, you will not escape. And this grip says that no one and nothing can separate you out of my hand in this moment. And you look and your father, he steps between you and the man by saying, not a chance, you're getting this one. Not a chance. He shields you as he walks boldly by the man and you leave him in the dust. My hope for you is that you would see the, the rugged and the strong and the unwavering, determined character of Jesus Christ as well as the gentle, loving, joy-filled nature of Christ, amen? And so we need to see the tough and tender Jesus Christ. And so in that, may we understand that in God the Father, in God the Son, in God the Holy Spirit, there is an invincible, determined, purposeful voice of the Spirit. And the reason why I want to start with that this morning is because as we journey through this book of Acts and we begin to unfold the ultimate plan of God, the movement of God for the children of God who are filled by the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and the Gospel of God to the ends of the earth, we need to know both God is kind and tender, but ultimately invincible. And he is determined to his purpose, which is the glory of Jesus Christ. We need to not only see the sweet and the quiet and the gentle ministry of the Holy Spirit as our comforter, and he is our comforter, amen? But we also need to see the invincible purpose of the Holy Spirit, namely to glorify Jesus Christ. That is the purpose, that is the plan that nothing can hinder. And so God wants us to understand from our text the Holy Spirit's purpose for the glory of Christ through and into all the nations. And so let me just recap a little bit from a couple weeks ago, all right? The book of Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke, all right? Luke is the first book, Acts is the second book. Top Gun was the first movie, 
Maverick's the second one, all right? Think of it like that. And so, so Luke, the author of Acts, is writing again, okay? And, and in his first book, he began to deal with, the Bible says, that all that Jesus said and did in his ministry. And, and so there's, there's chapter among chapter in the book of Luke of everything that Jesus said and things that Jesus did. And so the book of Luke is about all about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is now about to empower our call to be witnesses to all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did. That's the book of Acts. And so the foundational conviction for you and I and this, this call to gospel ministry is, is the fuel to our mission. It's the fuel to our fire that is ignited by the Spirit. And so the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so that is the gospel that fuels the church forward, that we are saved, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done, amen? And so, so many people, they'll come into a church or they'll come into a setting or have these preconceived understanding of who Jesus is, maybe thinking that Jesus came to give us more laws and rules, but the scripture tells us that Jesus came to give us grace and truth. How many of you need grace? I don't need more laws. I can't fulfill the laws that are out there. And so I need a savior, I need Jesus, and Jesus came in grace and truth, and that's the gospel. And so the gospel that fuels us is this gospel that says, you need a savior, I need a savior, we've all fallen short, Jesus came and lived the sinless life that we could not live. He lived the righteous life that you and I cannot live, and that is the righteous life that God calls us to live. We can't do it, Jesus has done it. And Jesus dies the death for sin that you and I deserve to die. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death, separated from God, yet Jesus, being sinless, died for sin and sinners upon the cross. The scripture says, once and for all time, so that anyone who would come to faith in Jesus Christ would be reconciled, would be renewed, justified before God, through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel that God's purpose wants to take to the whole world, amen? And so here's the deal. The gospel of Jesus is a renewed relationship with Jesus by his grace. And this movement of grace through Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth is called this movement called the church. And so that's what we see in the book of Acts. The church, it's ecclesia, it's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It means called out ones. Let me tell you what that means. That means that the church are those who are called out of religion, out of trying to make their own way, out of trying to get their way to God, and out of sin and out of death and into life and everlasting with Jesus Christ. And so we're called out of, of a works-based righteousness and called into a righteousness that is in Christ alone, and that is what Jesus has said, and that is what Jesus has done, and that is what we are to take to the ends of the earth. And so here we are, we're in the book of, of Acts chapter one, but, but the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts overlap, and so let me explain that to you. So Jesus dies on the cross, 
is in the tomb, buried three days, and then raises from the dead. And then over a period about 40 days, Jesus appears to disciples, he appears to people, he shows himself as the resurrected and say, see, I told you I was God, I told you I was coming back, I told you that I would finish the work, and here I am. And so over 40 days, there's this overlap between the end of book, uh, end of Luke and uh, Acts chapter one. And so in order to show you that, I'm gonna show you Luke chapter 24. Listen to what Jesus says after his resurrection as he appears to his disciples. Verse 44, then he said to them, who's the he? Jesus, we can participate here, it's all good, all right? Jesus, and so Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything, everyone say everything, everything written about me, who's the me? Okay, so Jesus is going to say right here, everything that was written is written about me. Okay, listen to what he says. Everything that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, let me stop right there. What did Moses write about? Jesus, all right? What did the prophets write about? Jesus. What are the Psalms about? You're getting it now, okay? Everything is about Jesus. What's the New Testament about? Jesus, okay. And so the empowerment of the Holy Spirit from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Prophets, all of the books of the Old Testament are all about Jesus. And because the Holy Spirit is all about bringing glory to Jesus Christ, and that's his purpose from the beginning of time to the end of eternity, the Holy Spirit is going to be talking to us about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look at what he says. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must, everyone say must, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand. I see Jesus in all the scriptures now. Woo, that's good, that's good stuff. And he said to them, this it was written that the Christ should suffer on the third day. Where was that written? Moses, prophets, Psalms, all of it's written about Jesus dying, raising on the third day. As it's written, Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And that repentance, everyone say repentance. Okay, that is a, a turning from our own way and trusting Jesus. This is what it says. And that repentance and the forgiveness of sins, everyone say forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. What's his name? Okay, so repentance, forgiveness of sins, proclaimed the name of Jesus to all nations. Acts says, to the ends of the earth. My name should be proclaimed to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. You are witnesses to these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Does that sound familiar to anyone? That is Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. Here it is. And so he, he says, he says, listen, you got to wait. I'm going to give you power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you need to wait, and you need to wait for that spirit to come. And so Luke, he ends his book in Luke. 
and starts his book in Acts with the same speech, helping us understand. I don't think it's accident that he puts it in there twice. Repentance, forgiveness of sins, name of Jesus Christ, all nations, be my witnesses. The promise is gonna be clothed with you on power, and so stay and wait until that happens. You see power, Holy Spirit, witness, mission to the ends of the earth. You see it now. And so here's what's interesting. Sandwiched between the promise of Jesus that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to be witnesses, and the day of Pentecost, Pentecost meaning the 50th day after Passover, right? So he appears 40 days, then on the 50th day, Passover comes. Sandwiched between in this, in this section is, is something about prayer and unity and gathering, and he talks about Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then buying a field called blood and then replaces Judas with Matthias. All of which is enormously relevant to the movement behind the mission. Let's start, Acts 1 verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem, just like Jesus told them, from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. It's close. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. What were they devoted to? Prayer, you're with me. Together with the women and Mary and mother of Jesus and his brothers. Here's what's interesting. Verse 15 says that there was about 120 people gathered. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus actually appeared after his resurrection to over 500 people at one time. Okay, so Jesus rises from the grave. He appears to crowds over 40 days. At one time, one of the crowds was over 500 people. All right, that's hundreds, maybe even thousands of people saw the resurrected Jesus from the grave. But according to Acts 1, how many people were gathered and devoted to prayer? 120. That means that there's probably hundreds and thousands of people who saw Jesus literally walking and talking, resurrected from the grave, and still didn't join the movement. Some would say, you know, I'm not a Christian because there's not enough evidence. Luke 6.31, Jesus is talking about a separation from God. And he's talking about faith and repentance and how those work together and how they bring us to God. And Jesus actually says this. He said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, which are all about Jesus, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone raises from the grave. And so here's the deal. Those who had the evidence of the resurrected Jesus are still 
unwilling to turn from sin, unwilling to trust Jesus, unwilling to join the movement or even devote their lives to him. And let me tell you why, because it's not about the evidence that's unconvincing, it's about the heart that is unwilling. And so you can have all the evidence laid before you and you could say, you know what? I like to be my own God. I like to be my own savior. I like to do my own thing. I don't want to follow him. Even if he raised from the dead, even if he's the only way. Jesus rises from the death. Many see him, few will follow him. And these are gathered together, about 120, and they devote themselves to him, all right? And what are they devoted to? Prayer. They say they gather, and they're devoted to prayer. This is convicting for me. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to waste time. Anyone? I don't like to waste time. I like to get to work. I like to, I like to do things, all right? If I got work to do, I'm gonna do it. Anyone else like that? Oh yeah, okay, let's go to work. Can we agree that 120 people in a room who don't have a map or airplane and their call is to send the gospel to the nations, they got some work to do. So devoting themselves to prayer, listen to me, is not a waste of time, it's an investment in time. And so some of you who are like me, who are very worky, very like, okay, let's, let's do some stuff. Let's get some things done. Let's move this thing forward. Those of you who are like me, listen, this is a word for you today. We need to slow down and pray first before we do. Because their devotion to prayer is ongoing. It's consistent. It's a priority. Prayer is involved in their course of every day. And so let me just tell you, prayer precedes doing. Prayer precedes doing. How many of you are doers? Prayer precedes doing. What tends to happen for me is I just like to get to work, right? Okay, let's, let's draw it out on the whiteboard. Let's go, let's go, let's get, get it. Let's go to work, right? And then what happens is I mess it up. Anyone, right? I make these mistakes, I mess it up, everything falls apart. And then what do I do? Then I pray. <laughs> Oh man, I, I, I started doing this thing, it fell apart. And so I'm praying things like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry, please help me, I'm an idiot. Come fix this thing, will you? So I do pray, right? It's just typically uh, my default, anyone? Uh, my default is to pray, but really to, to work first. But this is reminding me that we pray before we do. And so some people are doers before prayers and some people are prayers and not doers. How many of you just like to pray? So this is, we say, you know what? God's gonna do what God's gonna do. I'm just gonna like, you know, get comfy on the couch, pull up a blanket, maybe a pillow. You know, I'll pray. I'll, I'll just pray. I'll just pray. God will do it. I'll pray. God will take care of it. I'll pray. It'll be fine. Here's the truth. God wants us to pray and do. Let me say that again. God wants us to pray and do. Pray before we do, but there is always a do. All right, all right? And so God is calling them to bring the gospel to the nations. And, and let me make it very more specific for you. God is calling us to take the gospel to the nations, and so there's work for us to do, but we are prepared by praying. Let me tell you, praying alone isn't enough. God wants to work through his people. That's why he gives them the commission. If he just said, oh, you know what, it's best. Just stay in the upper room. Just stay in Jerusalem. Just stay there. Ain't no thing. I'll just take care of it. Listen, God does take care of it, but he wants to use you. Amen? 
Okay, all of you evangelists out there, you're loving this. So listen, there's work to do. Prayer's not enough. God wants to work through his people. So it's not, it's not moving for God, it's moving with God. We want to move with God. Praying precedes the moving. Praying, listen, clarifies the movement. We need to pray to ask God, okay, what is the movement? Let me just tell you, I'm going to be real honest with you. There are hundreds, hundreds of people, thousands of people in the church who are devoted to the comfort of the upper room, but not devoted to prayer and doing. So what we do is we like to be devoted to church and sitting in rows and sitting where it's comfortable and be devoted to the upper room, yet we love to forsake the call of the commission to the nations. And we want to see, you know, our time, our time we want to spend praying. They spend 10 days praying. It's not wasted time. It's invested time. But they were about to leave the comfort of the upper room because they were filled with power to proclaim Jesus to the nations, not just proclaim it to one another. Somebody say amen to that. And you're like, no, I like to be comforted. I don't want to shout out. I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to disrupt anything. Listen, we live in a world that idolizes comfort. We worship it. We praise it. We long for it. We want more money so we can have more comfort. We want more time off so that we can have more comfort. We want more things so that we can have more comfort. We want ease and comfort, and that is your God. And if that is your God, you don't understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And so they're about to leave the upper room. And if your prayer time doesn't empower you to tell other people about Jesus, you have placed comfort of Jesus above the call of Jesus, and you will sit in church your entire life and never experience the clothing of the power of the Holy Spirit that you are called to witness to the nations. Because you're too busy asking God for comfort. So you do pray. But you pray, Lord, would you help me be more comfortable? Would you help me get a better job so I can be more comfortable? Would you help do this thing so that I could be more comfortable? And you've forsaken the comfort of Jesus above the call and the commission of Jesus because you're too busy listening to your own voice and your own comfort than listening to the voice of Jesus. Movements move. Let me just say this. Those gathering in the upper room, they weren't praying for God to do something. I know that may sound a little controversial. The primary purpose of their prayer was not to get God to do something. But the primary purpose of prayer is to allow God to do something to us, in us. That is why they were devoted to prayer. 
Not because they were trying to convince God to do something, to pull stuff down. He just rose from the grave. He could do whatever he wants. But the purpose, the primary purpose of prayer is for God to do something in us. We don't pray for God to move. He's going to move. He's on the move. We pray that God would move us. We pray that God would change us. God doesn't change. God doesn't need to change. We're not trying to pray so that God would change his mind about the plan or the purpose. We're praying so that God would change us so that we could step into the plan and the purpose. God does move, hear me. God is moving, hear me. Jesus is moving, Jesus is saving. Being devoted to prayer is not praying so that we can change the heart of God, it's to change our own hearts. It's why we're so stagnant in the church because we pray for stuff. God, would you do this, God, would you? You need to start praying, God, would you do something in me? God, when he promises something, you don't need to ask him for it. God has an invincible purpose. And what we need to do is not asking God to do what he promised. We need to start asking God, how do you want me to be a part of it? You want to reach the nations? You want witnesses across the street or around the corner in the community, in the home? You want to proclaim your gospel to those who've never heard? You want to proclaim your truth to those who are out there lost, dying, perishing without a Savior, Jesus? I know you want to do that. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking you, how do you want to use me to do it? That's my prayer. That's the devotion to prayer. And so the prayer here is not just asking Jesus to do something. He already told them, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power to be my witnesses. And so what they're doing is they're praying and God's people start to get in agreement and in alignment. The Bible says one accord of what Jesus wants to do in them, when we understand that, all of a sudden we're realizing, man, prayer is changing me. Testimonies? I'm not just seeing God do stuff. I'm seeing God change me. I'm seeing God soften my heart for what his purpose is, his will is. Not my will be done, his will be done. I'm starting to see my heart change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the one that needs to change, amen? amen? And so can we just agree that being devoted to prayer, when it comes to the book of Acts and reaching the nations, we need to be praying, Lord, less comfort, more of you. Less of me, more of you. And so they're gathering, they're praying, and the result is unifying, just like Jesus prayed in John 17, Lord, make them one as we are one. And when he prays, things happen. And so he, we're devoting ourselves to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three, one God. Jesus prays it would be done with our hearts, our mind, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one mission, one book, all about? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So they're gathering plus they're praying. It equals unifying, and it starts the greatest movement that the world has ever seen. Prayer unifies us to the mission of God. Now look at what happens next. As they're praying, about 10 days, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company persons of about 120. And he said, brothers, the scriptures had to, everyone say had to. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. 
It had to be which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. He's talking about the Psalms, and the Psalms are about who? Jesus. Okay, we're on the same track. He says, this had to be done. Why? Because the Holy Spirit spoke about it through David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out. Awesome. (laughs) Kind of gross, but cool. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language at Akeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Notice what Peter says in verse 16. He says, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Which the Holy Spirit spoke about beforehand out of David concerning Judas. So Peter, he's talking about the Old Testament. And he's talking about how the Old Testament was given by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, since when the Holy Spirit speaks, it must be, it had to be fulfilled. So Psalm 69 had to be fulfilled by Judas betraying Jesus and buying a field with the death money. Psalm 109 had to be fulfilled by replacing Judas with a disciple named uh, Matthias. And so the point for us this morning is that God wants to see no matter what happens, even if it's a Judas-like scenario, God has an invincible purpose that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. God wants you and I to have confidence this morning that when the Holy Spirit says something, it will be done. It will be fulfilled, even if it takes a thousand years. And so the invincible purpose of the Holy Spirit is clearly seen in this word, had to. It had to be this way. Don't you see the betrayal of Judas? It had to be this way. It had to go this way. And some of you are thinking, what do you mean had to be? Why did it have to be? Isn't life full of contingencies? Isn't life full of open endings? Like no one knows what could happen, even God? Like am I not free to just kind of go my own way and do my own thing and God has to deal with it? Aren't people free to just simply do whatever they want? Even God has to adjust his plans, right? How can he say had to be? Well, because Peter understands The purpose of the Holy Spirit expressed in Scripture is invincible. It's unconquerable. 
It's unwavering. It is supreme. It is absolute. The word of God does not change. It stands forever. And so let me ask you, why do you think Peter stands up, gives us this had to speech? Why do you think that would be important for us in the mission and the movement of the church? Well, let me tell you why. Because this invincible, unwavering spirit's purpose fulfilled is one of the things that you need to see in your father's face when you look up at him because there's going to be times of crisis and danger, especially in times when you're being betrayed. If we are called to take the gospel to the nations, there's going to be there's these times where you're going to be betrayed, you're going to look danger in the face, and you're going to look up at your father, and he's going to say to you, I've got this. I know the end from the beginning. I know how this works out. You don't have to be afraid. I've got you. And so when we're following Jesus on mission, there will come a time where you experience a Judas moment. If you don't ever experience that through your entire life, you're probably still waiting in the upper room. But the moment that you see that God's purpose is not crumbling, he's not shrinking back, he's not wondering what I'm gonna do in this moment, God is not worried. And so when fear and betrayal looks you in the eyes, you look up to your father and you say, it had to be. Only confidence of the invincible purpose of God. He spoke, it had to be. The reason we need to be reminded that Jesus sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, that Judas was a thief and he bought a field with his blood money and he died in such a way that was brutal. The reason God uses this ugly, tragic story is to illustrate to us the invincible purposes of the Holy Spirit. It had to be. How many of you know it's easy to trust God on sunny days than it is on rainy days. It's easy to trust God when anything's going well, but Peter stands up and he says, hey, there's gonna be a day that it's not going well. Remember Judas? Remember how God told us that was gonna happen? Remember how Jesus said, if they hated you, they'll hate, uh, they hated me, so they'll hate you? Remember that? It's gonna happen. And so in that moment, you say, that had to be Fulfilled. Can we agree in those times that we need help? We need to stand on the invincible purposes of God. We're reminded that difficulty and betrayal as followers of Jesus is not a glitch in God's plan. It is not a setback. It is a fulfillment of his eternal purpose. John 6, 64, Jesus knew from the first who they were that would not believe and who would betray him. John 17, 12, Jesus prayed, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Guess who that is? Judas. That the scripture might be Fulfilled, it's going to be fulfilled. This guy has to betray me. So let us be thankful and give praise that God has the end from the beginning so that when we face trials, when we're sharing the gospel unto the nations and we get pushback and the culture says, hey, you don't need to go that way, you need to come with me. You look up at your father and he says, that had to be, I got you. Acts 1, 21, he's not done. So one of the men 
who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness. Everyone say witness. To his resurrection. Let me just pause right there. All right, so he's saying Judas betrayed Jesus, so now that had to be done, and something else that was written that needs to be done is we need to replace Judas with someone who has been with us from the beginning, from John the baptism, from uh, the teaching, the raising the dead, all of the stuff, all that Jesus did, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. We need to pick a dude that has been a witness to all of those things. This is what it says. And they, they prayed and said, I'm sorry, back up. And they put forward to Joseph called Barabbas and those who called Justice and then Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all, so show us which one of these two that you have chosen. They take place in the ministry, the apostleship with Judas turned aside and to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. The passage, it says that this guy who's gonna replace Judas must be a witness. He must have had, he had to do that. That's the must. Everyone say must. It must be done. It must be fulfilled, like in verse 16. The must is one who's been with the 12, one who must have seen Jesus' public ministry, one who must have seen the arrest and the death of Jesus, one who must have witnessed the resurrection and the ascension. And the reason this must is critical because the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises to those who are going to be his witnesses, the clothing with on power on high, this call to be witnesses was never ever, ever meant to send the apostles into a emotional high and it was never to be disconnected from the works and the words of Jesus Christ. Let me explain that to you. The spiritual power that is given to the church, the clothing of power that's given to the church by the Spirit is not so that you can have an emotional experience it's so that you can be a witness to all that Jesus said and did. We need to get a guy who's been a witness of all of these things so that when the Spirit comes, everything the Spirit does and everything the Spirit says is centered and tested once and for all through the revelation of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To glorify Christ. What is the purpose of Genesis and Exodus? What is the purpose of the prophets and the Psalms? To glorify Jesus Christ. So why do you think now when the Holy Spirit's given, it's anything but to glorify Jesus Christ? You think you get the power so you can do a dance? Everything the Spirit does is founded and rooted on the glory of Jesus Christ. If someone tells you, oh, the Spirit's moving in our gathering and the gospel of Jesus and the truth of Jesus is not being proclaimed, you need to find another gathering. Because the work of Jesus and the words of Jesus, if they're not front and center for you, 
It's not unifying the purpose of the Holy Spirit. It is a divisive counterfeit because everyone's wondering, what's going on? The glory of Jesus Christ is all about Jesus. And so when the Holy Spirit falls, it's not about glorifying man. It's not about you doing some tricks. It's not about you uh, uh, edifying yourself because what that does is it robs Jesus of his glory, which ultimately is the purpose of the Spirit. And so when we, when we find a gathering that is devoted to the word of God as center, that's devoted to prayer as asking God to use them, devoted to the name of Jesus and calling out repentance of sins and forgiveness of sins and Christ crucified and Christ resurrected and Christ giving us grace so that we can come to him and be saved by him, when that is glorified and praised, you know that's where the Holy Spirit's working. Amen? You're like, I don't know. Because that's what the invincible purpose of the Holy Spirit is about. If I asked you, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To glorify Jesus. Why would God give us the Holy Spirit? So that we could glorify Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's purpose is all about the work of Jesus and the words of Jesus, empowering people who are devoted to telling others about Jesus. All right, let me close with this. The person who stands up and starts to teach in Acts chapter one is who? Peter. Peter stands up in Acts chapter one and he starts to talk about these things that had to be. The first thing, the first person he talks about is who? Judas. So you've got Peter talking about Judas. Let's look at these two for a moment. Both Peter and Judas had Jesus as their pastor. Both had the apostles by their side. They had the same small group. They were both given the same mission. Peter and Judas both were extended the kingdom of God here on earth. They were both extended the proclamation of the gospel to those. They both got to eat with Jesus. They both got to travel with Jesus. They both got to listen to Jesus. They both had Jesus pray over them. And listen, they both failed Jesus. We've looked at how Judas failed Jesus, but do you remember how Peter failed Jesus? Let me tell you, Jesus was arrested. He was brought in by Judas. Falsely tried, crucified, death on a cross, and Peter was following Jesus, but not following closely, but at a safe distance because he didn't want anyone to know that he was with Jesus. And so Peter kind of tiptoed in the background watching what was gonna happen to Jesus because what's gonna happen to Jesus, he didn't want to happen to him, amen? And so in the town square, these people, they come up to Jesus. Hey, weren't you one of the disciples? Hey, weren't you with him? Hey, don't I know you? You were the one following him. Hey, you were the one talking with him. Hey, you were the one in the group. Your accent gives you away. I know you're from Galilee. I know you're the one who's with Jesus. And so he's accused three times. Weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you with Jesus? And he says, no, I don't know that man. No, I'm not him. At one point, he literally curses a little girl out and says, get away from me. I don't know him. I deny him. I don't want anything to do with him. And so let me ask you a question. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Judas walked away from Jesus and his word. 
and never returned. Peter walked away from Jesus, but then repented and believed. That's the difference. Ultimately, sin leads to death. Judas died without ever repenting. Maybe feelings of grief, sorrow over sin, but no repentance, no trust in Jesus. Repentance is literally turning from your own way and trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repentance is turning from guilt, trusting and following Jesus. In Acts, Peter is now leading the Christian church. He's teaching a Bible study to Jesus' mom and brothers after denying Jesus. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? It's not that they had failed, it's how they responded to their failure. Once Jesus rose from the grave, Peter heard that Jesus was alive and Peter ran to the tomb. John 21, it says that Peter appeared after his resurrection and Peter got so excited that he literally jumped out of the boat and swam to him. Said Jesus over there, I'm out of here. He goes after Jesus. And what happens is Peter and Jesus, they have this most caring and intimate conversation. And Jesus asks Peter, hey, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Do you love me? Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter's like, I failed you, but you never failed me. I abandoned you, you never abandoned me. I wasn't there for you, you're always there for me. Peter was broken by his sin, he was grieved over his sin, and he came back to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He forgives him, and he empowers him to be a witness to the ends of the earth. The only difference between Judas and Peter is one brought their sins to Jesus, the other one brought their sins to the grave. Let me just remind you, whatever sins you've committed, today can be a great day for you because you can give your sin to Jesus too. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to shoulder it. And you don't have to go to the grave with it because Jesus can pay for it when you give your life to him. He says, please forgive me, give me grace. And so here the question is not, are you gonna act like Judas or are you gonna act like Peter? The question is, will you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And today I invite every one of you to turn from your sins and trust Jesus Christ in your place for the forgiveness of sins and to be restored into a right relationship with God for your life, it's not too late. Let's pray. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would fall upon us so that we would see Jesus, you, as our Savior. I pray that we would not carry our sin to the grave with us trying to work out what has already been done for us in Jesus. 
I pray that we would give our lives and our sin and our future and our hope to you and you alone, that you would change us, that you would renew us, that you would sanctify us, and that you would purify us through faith in Jesus. Jesus, you are the way. Jesus, you are the truth, and you are the life, and your word tells us that no one comes to the Father except through you. And so today, oh Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not given their life to Jesus, that today they would trust Jesus as their Lord. Lord Father, we're asking you to come and grab hold of our hands. We're asking you, God, that as we look up to your, uh, your invincible purpose, that we would see a God that is strong, a God that is unchanging, a God that is loving, a God that is comforting, a God that is empowering, a God that continues to go before us and behind us and strengthens us from within. And so God, we come before you asking you, by your grace, would you save us? Would you redeem us? And would you make us a light unto the world so that the ends of the earth would know Jesus is Lord. It is in your name, O oh Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus tells three stories. He says, there's a man who had a hundred sheep. He lost one. And so the shepherd, he goes and he searches until he finds the one. And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and brings it home. The second story is about a woman who lost a coin. And, and the owner of the house would go and search high and low until she found it. And when she finds it, she would call her friends and neighbors together to celebrate. The third story is about a man who had two sons. And the son went wayward. He just left. He says, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with the father. And the Bible says that he literally squandered his life. He wasted it. He pursued his passions, his dreams, his desires, and they all fell short. Scripture says that he came back home to the Father, and the Father received him. And there was a celebration for him because the son who was dead is now alive. He starts, Jesus starts these three stories by telling us there is a greater celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who think they're okay. I pray that today there'll be an epic celebration in this place. Listen to me. There will be a celebration in heaven today. But I pray that that celebration will overflow in this place as we, as we put Jesus on display and say, may your name be glorified. And so I want to uh, ask um, McKenna and her family to come up. So last week she had told me she wanted to be baptized, but her family wasn't able to see it. And so um, we wanted to give her another opportunity today. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. Hannah, do you want to share? Hello, everyone. I am 
happy that I accepted the Lord as my Savior, and since then, my life has just been amazing, and I'm ready to commit to Him. Amen. Amen. Do you want to say something? You don't have to if you don't want. Okay, okay. All right, McKenna, hop on in. This is Grandma. Grandma played a unique role in telling her about Jesus, and so she gets to baptize McKenna. Will you stand with us as we celebrate this? We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. We're going to rejoice. Oh, praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. This time, I'm just going to simply open it up and say, is there, is there anyone else, anyone else that would say, you know what, I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to give my life to him. Then I'm going to invite you to come forward and be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of sins. We have clothes for you to change into out back, so there's no excuses. You can come. <laughs> is there anybody else? Anyone else? All right, let me pray over you. God, I thank you, oh God, for this opportunity to celebrate and what you're doing in the lives of your people. God, I pray that we would be bold and courageous to live for you and not be ashamed of you and that any opportunity we get to proclaim you and your name and your glory, it would truly be on our lips that you would set a fire in our soul Lord, that would change us and shape us and radically send us into your grace and your purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a few more songs.